Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Well, hello there. Welcome to our Q&A episode all about spelling. I've been asking for the last couple of weeks for you to send your questions to my email. Um, Some of them I answered right away. Others I just stuck in a folder so that I could answer them and kind of read through them all at once. So that's what I'm going to do today. I want to start off by apologizing for how terrible my voice might sound on this microphone. I don't know. I have been fighting a sinus infection and a double ear infection. And actually, I don't feel terrible, but I just can't stop coughing and, you know, all the yuck that comes along with a sinus infection. So I'm feeling much better. I'm not letting that be an excuse why I don't record because I haven't missed an episode yet this year. And I'm afraid if I let a sinus infection be my excuse, that's going to be the first one. And then I'll have another and another. So I'm just going to keep plowing through. I promise to do a live Q&A episode or kind of a in real time. I shouldn't say live. Um, but kind of a in real time after you've listened to all the episodes, and I want to deliver on that. So sinus infection or not, coughing or not, here we are ready for an episode um, to answer your questions. I tried to put all of these questions in an order that really makes sense, but I know myself and I am probably going to skip around. And as I answer one question, I'm going to be like, oh, and that reminds me of another question. So I'm going to try my best to stay on track answer questions one at a time, but we'll see how that goes. Okay. Um, Our first question says, how do you know where to start? And I think that is an excellent question. Um, And one that I didn't really discuss too much in the actual series. So for me, the best place to start is with an assessment. And to be perfectly honest, there's no perfect answer. There's no perfect assessment. Um, Whenever I taught fifth grade, um, I did not use the words their way program, but there was an assessment and that helped me kind of see where my students were. Um, Because again, it was at the fifth grade level and I needed some things that um, had multiple syllables, um, vowel teams, things that were a little more complex than what I use currently. Um, For kindergarten through third grade right now, um, I have some assessments in my TPT store that I call informal assessments. And they are informal because they are literally just a handful of words for kids to read or kids to spell that follow a particular um, spelling pattern. And then the next level or the next section is, okay, now can you read or spell these words that follow this spelling pattern? Okay, you've done really well with that. Now let me give you something a little bit harder, a little bit harder. It's not tied to a particular program. It's not tied um, to anything other than how my brain functions and organizes things. I need to know, can you spell a CVC word? 
I need to know, can you spell a word with a beginning blend? What about an ending blend? What about diagraphs? Things like that. So I like to do that just so that I can kind of see where my kids are, um, what are some areas of strength, and what are some areas of weakness. Um, in time, I am also planning to add words with multiple syllables, but at the time of this recording, that is not there yet, but it will be added to the program uh, or to the assessments in time. So basically all of that to say, find some assessments or create an assessment yourself um, to just kind of see where are your students? What kind of words can they spell? What kind of words can they not spell? So that you can kind of start to see what they're ready for. I also like to see what kind of words they can decode. Not that those two are always going to go hand in hand, but I just like to see, okay, like, whoa, we could not spell any of these words, but we could read this type of word and, and kind of use that to guide you, um, but definitely rely a little more on the spelling test so that you know where to start them, um, but maybe consider a little bit of that um, of their ability to decode as well. So how do you know where to start? I say start with an assessment. See where they are, see what they can do, see what they can't do, and then you'll know exactly where to start them as far as what kind of words am I going to have you spell from week to week. Now, question number two, I am already jumping ahead of what I was actually going to read during this time, but that's okay, you can't see my three by five cards. So here we go. Our next question kind of sparked by the last one or why I jumped ahead is, why can some kids read words that they can't spell and vice versa? And I think that is a fabulous question. And I think the answer is in two parts here. So I'm gonna give the answer and then I'm gonna elaborate on some of those things. So the first reason I think could rely a lot on the instruction that they have received and the second reason why they might be struggling is just based on their own cognitive abilities. Now, what the heck does that mean? So first, let's talk about instruction. Let's say I am a first grade teacher and I'm teaching my general education students decoding and I rock at teaching decoding and I am so good at teaching decoding. I have a good program, I have a good routine, I know what I'm doing, I've kind of worked out all the kinks, um, throughout the years. But spelling, who I don't know what I'm doing with spelling. And so we just do what's in the book. And I don't know all the spelling rules, or I don't know, you know, this or that, or I don't have a good program, I don't have a good routine. So I'm just kind of staying with the book and just barely hanging on with spelling. So I rocked at decoding, but spelling was just like, okay, whatever. How do you think those students who came from a teacher who rocks at decoding are gonna do in decoding? More than likely, unless something you know disability related is standing in their way, they're probably gonna be pretty good at decoding. But their spelling is probably just going to be mediocre. The opposite is true. Let's say I know what I'm doing in spelling and I have a good program and I have a good routine and I know exactly what we're going to do every single day. I know how to assess my kids. I know how to address their needs. But decoding, I'm like, um, just stretch out the word, you know, and I don't know what I'm doing. That is going to be reflected in my students because I'm better at teaching one subject versus the other or one part of that subject versus the other. And you know what? That's human. 
we don't know all the things about all the things. We can't. So we are naturally going to have things that we are just better at. Um, the same is true of our curriculum. And, you know, we go in waves where teaching phonics is really cool and then just teach kids to memorize words. And then we're back to teaching phonics and then we're back to just memorizing words. So even the trend, the textbook, the um, focus, maybe your instructional coach or your principal or whoever is kind of guiding what teachers are learning and growing in that might determine it. So to me, instruction could be one big factor, especially if you're seeing like, wow, this group just in general cannot decode words. Well, maybe they weren't taught or they weren't taught well, or they weren't taught at a very deep level and that's okay. Now you can kind of work to address those needs or at least have an understanding, why the heck can you spell this word but you can't read this word? The second answer or the second reason why they might be able to spell something but not read it or read it but not spell it could just be their own cognitive abilities. So this is honestly kind of becoming a new little like geek out nerdy obsession of mine is seeing, okay, if I have IQ scores in fluid reasoning that is, you know, this score, what is that going to affect? Where am I going to see weaknesses in fluid reasoning? Okay, if they have a low score in working memory, where am I going to see difficulties? How's that going to impact math? How's that going to impact reading? How's that going to impact spelling? All of those things are impacted by just our own natural ability to do things. How is our long-term memory versus our short-term memory? How are all of those things kind of players in the game to help kids read or to help kids spell? All of those are factors. So maybe they've had really great instruction in decoding and spelling and they're, they've had rock star teachers year after year. Then maybe it's just truly within their own ability. And as special education teachers, we know that. We know that they're smart in so many ways, but there is just something about spelling that is killing them or something about decoding words that is challenging for them. So keep that in mind. It could be the instruction, but it could also be, you know, matching phonemes that I'm saying out loud to a grapheme is just nearly impossible for me. Or maybe I'm the student who I can write those graphemes all day long, but I can't segment a word to know what graphemes I'm even trying to come up with. So we talked about that, I think, in episode two a little bit. Just some kids are going to struggle with phonemes. Some kids are going to struggle with graphemes. And that's going to look different in our kids. So some are going to be able to spell things. And then you think, oh, well, you'll be able to read this word because you can spell it. Not necessarily. That would be wonderful, but that's not always true. So just something to kind of keep in mind. And in my mind too, where in special ed, we have kids year after year after year, your weaknesses become your students' weaknesses too. So if I am just really dropping the ball in decoding, my kids are going to suffer not just one year, but two, three, four years, depending on how long I have them. So definitely a reason to always be growing and learning and trying new things so that it's not like, you know, I just know I'm bad at spelling, but I'm not doing anything to fix it. So um, just my two cents on why kids might be able to read something that they cannot spell. 
All right, question number three says, what if groups progress at different levels? And I think that's a wonderful question. And we're always me measuring progress. We're always looking at what kids can do and how quickly they're mastering these skills, that kind of thing. Um, so this is a wonderful question and shows that you're looking at what kids are doing regularly. And not all of your students will progress at the same level. That's kind of the nature of the beast. So if you remember a couple episodes ago, we were talking a little bit, I think it was episode number seven, where we were talking about teaching students to be independent. So one particular group that I have in mind, I have an array of kids really, who are all at different levels of independence, but we're all working on CBC words. So I have one student, she is absolutely amazing and has really come a long way. And she can spell CVC words pretty much on her own. She might sometimes need me to give her like the evil eye or help her with like a B and a D situation. But overall, she can say those phonemes, think about, okay, what says the er sound and match it? What says the a sound and match it and she can spell CVC words. But then on the opposite side of the table, I have a sweet little boy who tries so, so hard, but he is unable to really segment those sounds from the word. So I can support them differently, even though we're working on the same thing. Now, obviously, my girl who is already doing it independently at some point throughout the year is going to be ready for a list that's a little more difficult. And so I might have to rearrange some groups a little bit. Maybe he goes to a group that's lower. Maybe she goes to a group that's higher. Maybe I kind of split the group in two and figure out how am I going to rearrange some students so that everybody is getting exactly what they need. My gen ed teachers are also amazing and will absolutely let me experiment and try to move this student to that group and this student to that group. And so usually after I have a couple of data points, if I'm seeing that they're not progressing, like especially if I have a whole group who's pretty much moving through and they're gaining some independence, they're mastering some of those graphemes, and then I have one or two that aren't, it's like, okay, we need to start rearranging these groups a little bit. How can I put these kids on a higher level and move this one to a lower group? And so to me, that's just a little bit of a scheduling rearrange. Reworking that so that everybody is getting what they need. I usually don't do it after one time of progress monitoring. I want to see them do that week after week after week. For example, we could be working on something that is just, much easier. I'm thinking more in the blends and diagraphs group where um, we had several weeks where we worked on beginning blends and that was easy and they were doing good. And then we worked on some ending blends and Lord Jesus was that hard for them. So if I had made a decision to move some kids out of that group onto something else, it would have been very premature. So I think wonderful if your kids are at different levels do some rearranging or shift your mindset that we can still work on CVC words and I'm supporting these kids at different levels and in different ways and we're all working on the same thing. Now, I don't think it'd be fair to my girl who's doing a really good job to keep her there all year, but for, you know, say two or three weeks until it's time to progress monitor or get like that third data point to be like, yes, she's really doing a great job. I need to move her. 
I think that's okay. That's again, just my opinion, but I think it's wonderful if they're at different levels of independence within a group. And I also think it's wonderful to change that schedule around. Most of the time, classroom teachers are like, yeah, move her up. I'd love to have her in a higher group. Um, and most of them, if it's the opposite, they're like, yeah, give him whatever he needs. If he needs to be in a different group, we'll work it out um, with the classroom schedule. Or, yeah, I'd love to do that, but that's recess. Do you have another time? Most teachers are, are willing to work with you if you have some data to be like, this group is too hard. Um, I had one second grade student who the rest of the group was really ready to move on from CVC words to beginning blends. And he just wasn't. He was still struggling with the CVC words, even with me saying some of the phonemes asking him to match the graphemes. Um, so with that, I went to his teacher and I'm like, this is just too hard. And while that's heartbreaking to have to move him to a different group or to something that is lower, Look at the other five students who are now going to benefit because we're not leaving him in the dust, but we're not sitting there waiting on him to master some of these things. So I think, great, they should be, prog you know, making progress at different rates. So I felt like that was a really long answer. And I hope that makes sense in somebody else's brain besides mine. I think it's great if your kids are making progress at different rates. Our fourth question kind of stems off of our last question, and it says, how do I progress monitor spelling? Well, I really think that there are a couple of ways that you can do this, and really it might depend on your style, your timing, um, how often you're required to progress monitor, that kind of thing. The first way that I think you could progress monitor spelling is to keep track of that level of independence. So initially, when a student first comes into my group, maybe they're working at one of those lower levels where they need a lot of teacher support and they are not anywhere near independence. But in time, that's the goal. We're wanting them to be able to spell some of these words independently. So maybe kind of thinking more like a rubric where we're moving from a lower point where it's more supported to independence at a higher level than that is one way that you could monitor them. Again, thinking about how we have different kids in our group all working on the same thing, but that level of independence is changing. Sometimes whenever I add somebody to my group, it is actually good for the lowest kid in that group because now mama can't support them as much as she was before. And they have to be a little more independent because now we have a new one that needs my attention just a little bit more. So um, sometimes that level of independence is a really great thing to document, to track, and to kind of be aware of. Maybe you're wanting something though that is a little more formal or a little more structured instead of just, oh, Mrs. Wilp says today she needed me to say this, the phonemes and next week I didn't need her to say those. I just needed her to say it one time and we were all good or, you know, something that is a little more formal. And so for me, I progress monitor spelling in the occasions that I give a spelling goal like this. Um, I might give them five words that all have a consonant vowel consonant pattern, or I might give them five words that all contain diagraphs. And I'm just asking them to spell those words all on their own, or maybe spell them with letter tiles or spell them um, where I give the vowel sound or, or however you were to write that goal. 
You could give them five words, ask them to spell those five words. How do you do on that? This could possibly be done with a weekly spelling test, but for me, I use my weekly spelling tests a lot of times are all focused on one particular sound. Um, so I think that would be hard to be like, oh, we got 100% this week, but then next week it's just a really hard sound. Or um, maybe Mrs. Wilp was spending weeks doing high stakes testing and hasn't been with me to practice and make sure that I know and understand and have exposure to that particular phoneme and grapheme. So I think for a weekly spelling test, that might be a little difficult. Could it be done? Probably. Um, maybe there are some bonus words that you could give at the end of the spelling test that is for progress monitoring purposes. Maybe every single week you give a different word focusing on a particular diagraph or a vowel sound or whatever. And over five weeks, now you have five words to see how they could spell that. So I think you could get creative if you wanted to go more of a spelling test route but I would probably repeat that informal assessment that you gave earlier in the year to see where they were and be like, okay, well, we started where they could spell CVC words, but they couldn't do much with beginning blends. Now we can do CVC words and we can do beginning blends. Now we're ready for diagraphs or now we're ready for ending blends. And you can easily see where they were, see where they are now and kind of guide their instruction from there. Question number five is a really good one. And I'm going to be honest and say, I don't have a really good answer, but I'm going to tell you what I think and you can go from there. So this question says, how do you decide how much small group time to dedicate to spelling? And like I said, I don't really have a great answer um, because what I want and what I have are two totally different things. Um, I really only have about 30 minutes with my students. And so guess what? We have about five to 10 minutes, depending on the day, where we're working on spelling. If I had more time though, honey, I'd take it. I would use every minute that I could to practice some of those spelling rules, practice phonemes and graphemes, use some multi-sensory approaches. I don't always have that time. Um, anytime I can, I squeeze it in. But... I only have 30 minutes. And to be honest, part of that is walking down the hallway to and from my group. So I use as much time as I can towards spelling or, you know, to address spelling. But I really think in a perfect world, 20 to 30 minutes a day could be spent on spelling for students who are struggling to master phonemes and graphemes and spelling rules um, or who need help practicing phonological awareness. So that's not what I do every day. And I actually hate saying that out loud that I know they need more. But when I have 40 some students to see in a day, that's not always practical. I can't spend an hour a day working on 30 minutes of spelling and 30 minutes of reading and then later see them for math. That's not realistic. So um, I wish I could give us a set number. Spend 15 minutes a day and they'll be great spellers. Spend 30 minutes a day and they're going to be fabulous. Really, I think the answer is simple. The more time you spend, the better they're going to do, the faster they're going to progress. But I think special ed is all about balance and finding what is the right balance of being able to do this 
and do this without dropping the ball on something else. So find a time that works for you. I wish I could give you a magic number, but really as much as humanly possible, however many minutes you can give, give it so that they can grow and master some of those phonemes and graphemes to make both spelling and decoding easier for them. Now, was that a perfect answer? No, but I hope that you'll see the reality and the truth in that answer. It's not perfect, but I feel like you're probably in the same boat as me anyway. So that is the answer. Question number six, I'm kind of wishing that I had not skipped ahead earlier because now here we are with a leftover question. It says, is it better to spell easy words 100% independently or to spell harder words with support? And I think that's a fabulous question. And I maybe gave a touch of an answer whenever I was giving my example of my student who's like doing amazing, working independently. She can spell those CVC words with pretty, you know, like maybe 80 or 90% accuracy. She's doing very well. And then you have the student who it's not as easy and he is working at that lower level, needing more support, which is better for her to be spelling those words or for him to be spelling more difficult words. If I was measuring growth, I think he's going to grow much faster than her who's sitting there spelling words that like, eh, yeah, I've got to work at it, but I'm a little more there. And so I think it's all about finding kind of like an ebb and flow of this is easy and we're doing okay. And oh, Mrs. Whoop has given me some words that are a little harder. And then we go back to, okay, now I'm doing really good with this. My level of independence is, is gain, you know, I'm gaining in that. So guess what? She's going to have to make it a little bit harder. I think it's a good balance. If all year long they're working at like this independent level, then you're never teaching them anything that's new or hard or challenging. But if they spend the whole year spelling words that are just too hard for them, that's probably a waste too. So I think we really have to find a good balance between let them have some time where they're working independently, spelling words that are kind of within their zone of proximal development. They can do that and then bump them up. They've got to have some words that are harder. And then hopefully in time, it's like, ooh, okay, I'm, I'm getting better at this and better at this and I'm more independent. So to me, it might be a little bit of a fluctuating back and forth of which is easier and which is harder. Um, like I said, if I'm always giving you words that are a little bit harder, and a little bit harder, I think you're probably going to see more growth. So if I had to say which is better, I think giving them words that are a little harder, um, just for the purpose of seeing growth, they'll grow. Um, for example, sometimes I might give students some words with beginning blends, even though we haven't 100% mastered our CVC words, because guess what? If you're practicing reading words with four letters, those words with three letters are going to seem so easy because you're like, oh, I only have to say three sounds. I only have to remember three sounds. So to me, if I had to pick, everybody would be doing words that are just a little bit harder, even if you need a little more support. 
Question number seven um, is actually about general education. So I'm gonna give my answer because that's the kind of person I am. I'll always tell you my opinion and you can agree or disagree or kind of weigh the options and the thoughts of your school. And that's okay, it won't hurt my feelings if you like it or not. So this question says, could I or should I use these lists in general education? So these lists that she's talking about um, are the free weeks that I gave away in the show notes. You can click and there are like, I think five weeks, three different levels of spelling lists for you to use with your students. And each set of lists kind of follows a particular spelling pattern throughout the entire year. So the lowest um, has 40 weeks of just working on words with a consonant vowel consonant pattern. The middle list works all on beginning blends, ending blends, diagraphs, that kind of thing. And then the last list works on vowel teams and all throughout the year, you're working on different vowel teams. Each week is a new vowel team. Um, I am working just as kind of a footnote in there. I'm working on a list of only beginning blends because I was finding in my students, beginning blends, ending blends, and diagraphs, plus some magic e-words are really too much for some kids who just need beginning blends. So I am working to add that and some multisyllabic words, but what is free in these lists that she was referring to is where we would spend 40 weeks really slaving away at mastering the spelling and decoding of a particular spelling pattern. So would I use those in general education? I do not think I would. Um, for me, I think the majority of general education classrooms, that would be too slow for them. That, that would be like, oh my gosh, lady, please stop giving me words of three letters. I'm ready for more. These are too easy. And you wouldn't actually be teaching. You'd be doing all that working at 100% of independence all year long. However, I do think that there are some special circumstances where maybe they would be appropriate. So I don't want to say no in all situations. For example, um, at my school that I am working at right now, we have a really high EL population. And if I'm right, I, I could be remembering incorrectly, but I think we're at like 75% EL. And so with that, we have some, you know, say fourth or fifth graders who are in the gen ed classroom doing reading, doing spelling as a whole group. However, they've only been learning English for one year. So if you think that they're ready to spell words with Greek and Latin roots or words with multiple syllables, they need to master some of those lower levels. So I do think that there are some special populations that would benefit, um, but not all schools look like mine and that's okay. At my previous school, we um, were very small, very rural, and there were a couple of years where we didn't even have a special education teacher in the elementary. We had somebody from the high school who did a lot of our paperwork so that they had IEPs, but we didn't have a special ed teacher who was seeing them every day. So me as a gen ed teacher, again, I'm asking fifth graders with disabilities to spell words with Greek and Latin roots, which some weeks might be doable, but other weeks might be a little more challenging. So in that case, a list like this where it's targeted and we're working on one particular thing might be a huge benefit. And it wouldn't be too much more work on me to print spelling, print activities for them to do, print things like that 
where the lists are ready to go. So in general, I would say no, these lists are not made for general education. They are specifically designed for teachers who need 40 weeks of CVC words, 40 weeks of vowel teams, 40 weeks of beginning blends. But I know that there are some situations where a gen ed teacher might. So I don't want to say no, don't ever. But I think more situations than not, no, these lists should not be used in general education. Our last question today is an amazing one and one that stumped me. I'll be honest, I had to do some Googling. So I had someone ask, do you ever grade spelling tests using correct letter sequence instead of just marking the whole word wrong? And so I immediately went to Google. And obviously you can kind of assume correct letter sequence. Okay, did they have letters in the correct order? Maybe they omitted something, but they had the majority of the thing, you know, the letters there. Um, maybe they didn't have a double letter. Maybe they didn't include, you know, a silent letter, but in general, they had the majority of the letters. So basically, instead of just like, oh, number one is wrong, number two is right, number three is wrong, number four is wrong, instead of just marking them wrong, you would count the letters in the entire assessment. So let's say, just to keep my math simple, we had CVC words, which would have three letters, and we had 10 words on the list. So basically, the whole test would be worth 30 points instead of worth 10 points. And then let's say a student just messed up a vowel sound or they put a K instead of a C for that K sound. They would only miss one point out of the three instead of, nope, you're all wrong. Um, for more difficult words where maybe, you know, one word has four letters, one word has five letters, one word has six letters, you would just total how many letters were on the whole assessment. And so originally when I got this question, I'm like, well, I don't think I do this. And, and I don't because I didn't really even know or think about that. But I kind of love it. And I kind of like how kids could be rewarded and scored based on what they did know. And then it's not just like, oh, you missed one. Now you've got a 90%. You missed two. Now you have an 80%. Especially if you only missed it by one letter their score I think would be a little bit higher and then might give you a better indication of how accurate or not accurate they are. So at this moment, my answer to that question is no, I am not doing that. But I'm so thankful and here's the reason why I love doing what I do is that I get to learn new things from you guys too. This isn't the Amanda Knows Everything podcast. This is, I'm gonna share what I know and questions like this just spark me um, and, and really get me thinking about what could I do? Could I add this to something? Maybe this is a better fit for some students versus other students. So it's definitely something I'm going to play around with. But at this moment, the answer is no, but I love the idea. So definitely something that I want to look into. Um, definitely something that I encourage you to Google and kind of see how it's scored, what are, you know, the rules, the ins, the outs, because they're, it's more complicated than what I described. But to simplify, did they get the letters right? Give them a point if they did.
And I really think that that could help increase student scores as well as their confidence in how they do from week to week on their spelling test. So all of that to say, I appreciate you. I love your comments. And this is not the Amanda Knows Everything podcast. This is Amanda shares what she knows and she loves it when you share things back. So I love learning and finding new things that I can do with my students to help them benefit. And I love you for being here and finding new things to help you and your students as well. So I will let you go for now. And I hope that you will join me again next week as we start a brand new series, which will be all about math intervention, math instruction. Um, what should you include? What should you not include? What are good routines? Things like that that are a little basic. But then we're really going to dive deeper into, honestly, something that this was not the original plan. But as I was going through some of my notes and going through um, some questions from people through my email, it's like, you know, I think we should maybe take a deep dive into some of like how the cognitive IQ scores would relate to what students can and can't do. Um, for some even LD students who we think, oh, well, they're going to be strong in one area and weak in one area. Typically, yes, but there are also still a pattern of strengths and weaknesses. And how are those going to manifest themselves? How are we going to see that show up when we're learning about math? So um, I'm very excited to talk about some of those things just because it's a little bit different. It's a little bit deep and then really could help us understand our students and their abilities in math even more. So I will see you next week and I can't wait to talk a little bit about math. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.